sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be working on an uh, outreach packet that uh, once those apartments open and people start moving in, uh, we want to start uh, sending those packets over there. We want to uh, introduce our church. More importantly than that, we want to introduce our Savior, our Redeemer, to those who are going to be uh, moving on there, uh, moving over there. Uh, we're in the process of eventually, hopefully before the apartments are done, uh, having a new digital type sign out there so that we can welcome them and, and we can share the gospel uh, with them. So all of that's uh, coming uh, coming about and is going to be coming in the future, so we're excited about that. See, our church has a reputation. Our church has the reputation of being doctrinally oriented, uh, being teaching oriented, but, but not evangelical, and I disagree with that. I, I, think, I think we are. I think we're well-balanced when it comes to, um, to reaching uh, the lost and teaching why we reach the lost. And we want to continue uh, being doctrinally sound. I'm glad for that. Uh, being classified as a Bible-believing church, I'm, I'm glad of that. And as long as I'm the pastor, we'll teach the Word of God as being the uh, plenary, the complete, the infallible Word of God. Uh, this, is, this is God's Word to us. Uh, but I want to make sure that we understand that the need that we have uh, to reach those who are lost with the gospel and let them know that Christ died for them, that He was buried and rose again. Uh, there's an old saying that I heard a long time ago that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And th to me, that is so true. And what I encourage you to, all of us, to, to remember and to de desire to have is the mind of Christ as we reach out to not just those in those apartments, but all over Dogtown, all over St. Louis, throughout Missouri, uh, as we reach out, uh, us having that mind of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, we are told that we are to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And when you stop and think about the mind that was, the, the, the mind of Christ there was humility, humility, there was forgiveness, there was surrender. I mean, the surrender, not my will, but thine be done. Forgiveness. Can you imagine Christ saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do in the absolute agony of Calvary's cross? See, that's the mind that we are to have as those who have been redeemed by his precious blood. And the humility that he endured the cross, obedient to de unto death, even the death of the cross. What a horrendous death that was. Well, that's the mind that we are to have. That mind of humility, that mind of forgiveness, that mind of surrender to the will of the Father. Ephesians chapter 5.1 tells us that we are to be followers of God as dear children. The word followers there is mimetis. We've talked about that. Mimetis means to mimic, to imitate, 
Be ye therefore followers. The word followers is literally be imitators of God as dear children. And that's what God has called us to do, to be imitators of Him in our daily lives, in our daily walk, in our daily testimony of all that, that God has done in our lives. But see, it's, it's great for us to share with folks and say, let me tell you what God has done for me. But folks, that's only halfway there because we have an obligation to tell them what Christ has done for them. It's great to share a testimony and say, oh, the Lord has been so good to me. He has so blessed me. Let me tell you what God has done for me. But you're only halfway there. We need to make sure people understand what God has done for them as he went to Calvary's cross. So we're to be imitators of God. But that's not where it stops. Paul says something interesting in his epistles. Paul tells us that we're to be imitators of him. Now, what's he talking about there? To be imitators? Was he being braggadocious? Was he being egotistical? I can tell you this. As you read through the Pauline epistles, the focus was not on Paul. The focus was on the Lord Jesus Christ and what Christ had done for him, the chief of sinners. But 1 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 16, Paul tells us, Wherefore I beseech you to be followers of me. You know what that word followers is? Mimitus. It's the exact same word, be imitators of me. Verse 17, For this cause I have sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you unto remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul said, Timothy's going to talk to you about my ways. Folks, what we're going to look at this morning, are how important those ways are to the message of the gospel of the grace of God, to that mystery that was given to the Apostle Paul concerning you Gentiles. You Gentiles who the scriptures tell us were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel without hope until this chief of sinner was saved on the road to Damascus by God's amazing grace and is now a pattern to all those who should believe hereafter. All of those are important, important truths when it comes to being in remembrance of my ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul reiterates, be ye followers, imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. We need to understand that Paul received the revelation of the mystery from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul received uh, multiple revelations from the Lord Jesus. It's one of the reasons why I, I don't understand why... My Bible is not all in red if it's supposed to be in red at the words of Jesus because from Genesis to Revelation, it's the Word of God. God speaks. And in the Pauline epistles, it should all be in red if we're supposed to have the words of our Lord in red because the revelation that was given to Christ or the revelation that was given to Paul came from the Lord Jesus Christ uh, himself. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. 
verses 11 and 12. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. You know what Paul's saying there? No man told me what the gospel is. The gospel that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ, I didn't get it from Peter. I didn't get it from any of the twelve. I didn't get it from any man. He gets it from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Verse 13 tells us that clearly. Galatians 1.13, Tim. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Paul received that revelation from the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12.1 It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory, but I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So what we're going to be talking about this morning and looking at are those revelations that came to the Apostle Paul from the Lord Jesus Christ himself with these tremendous uh, truths that you are to claim as members of the body of Christ. What truths was Paul talking about here? What truths did the Lord Jesus Christ give to Paul concerning you Gentiles who again, according to Ephesians 2, you were without hope, you were alienated. That's a pretty serious, serious claim. And Paul says, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. Isn't it interesting? And I think this is significant that when the Lord was on earth, and by the way, we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the glorified God. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. We do not worship Paul, but we recognize Paul as being the apostle to the Gentiles. And you know who that includes? Everybody sitting in this church this morning. That includes you. He is our apostle. But when the Lord was on the earth, there were 12 apostles somebody quickly tell me, how many tribes were there? Twelve. Uh, is the number twelve significant when it concerns the nation of Israel? Absolutely. The apostles were told that they were going to sit on twelve thrones during the millennial kingdom, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. See, when it comes to Israel and the kingdom hope, there are twelve significant, twelve main apostles for the purpose concerning the nation of Israel. Twelve tribes 12 apostles, but there's one body, one body, made up of Jew and Gentile, one body. So guess how many apostles we have that are significant? One. I mean, one. That's two, but one. We have one apostle. That in itself is significant, and it tells us so much as to our relation, a special revelation that special revelation that was given to the Apostle Paul. <laughs> How significant is he? Is it when I say that he was our Apostle? Well, when you stop and think again, that we were at hope, we, we were alienated. Uh, boy, how glad I am that the Lord saved the chief of sinners and he gave us this Apostle, but more importantly, he gave us 
he gave him that special revelation of God's grace, mercy, how that not by works of righteousness that we've done, but by his mercy he saved us. That for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. So this morning I want to remind you of those truths that concern you, the body of Christ, that were, that were given to the Apostle Paul, that special revelation that we can claim. You talk about name it and claim it. Well, these truths that we're going to be looking at, folks, you can name it and you can claim it. And prayerfully, after we're done this morning, you'll understand it. One, of the, one thing that I think is significant is it's through the Apostle Paul and that special revelation that we find that we are to glory in the cross, that we are, going, we are to boast in the cross. Peter didn't have that message. As a matter of fact, when Peter talked about the cross on the day of Pentecost, when he explained to you men of Judea and Israel and, and all of those Jews who were gathered there on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was explaining to them what had taken place, that this is what the prophet Joel had talked about was going to happen on the day of Pentecost, an Old Testament prophet Keep that in mind as we go through this. This Old Testament prophet had foretold of exactly what was going on. And you men of Judea, you men of Israel, you are to know this, you murdered Christ. You murdered him. You killed him. And he laid the boom on them. He made sure they understood that they were responsible for the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior. And what, what did these people say? What must we do? They were pricked in their hearts. They understood that. They were pricked in their hearts. What must we do? And he said, talking to a covenant people, you need to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. In order for you to be forgiven for what you've done, you need to turn to God and you are to be baptized to identify as that nation of priests. That's what the water baptism was all about. But nothing about, and we're going to glory in the cross and we're going to boast in the cross. And it's through the, it's through the Apostle Paul that we understand what before the foundation of the world God's intent was for the cross to accomplish on our behalf, us Gentiles. That before the foundation of the world, it was God's purpose to reconcile fallen man to himself through that shed blood, through the death of his son, so that we might have that reconciliation with him. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It is through the apostle Paul that we find out that we are made new creations. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
When I stop and I think about that verse and I think about how Christ Jesus took upon himself my sin and he exchanged it for his righteousness, I stand in absolute amazement. I stand in wonder. Who would do such a thing for a worm like me? Only a loving God who desired to have that relationship with his creation, his fallen creation, and he makes me a new creation. He makes me a new creature. And he says that all things, uh, behold, all things are become new. All things are passed away. All things are passed away. See, I, I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't know how rebellious you've been. I don't know how much trouble you've gotten into. I have no idea how sinful you've been or are. But when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and by faith you believe in His finished work on Calvary's cross, when you believe that the tomb is empty, you become that new creation, and all things are passed away. It's from the Apostle Paul that we learn in Philippians, forgetting those things which are behind. I've got news for you. I am glad that I can forget those things which are behind. Knowing that the blood is covered them, that my sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west, but all, the, all of that is behind me. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I am a new creature. I'm not even the same human thug that I was. I'm a new creature. That's exciting. But you know, not just forgetting those things which are behind, I, I also think that has to do with the successes. Not just the failures, not just the sin, but even the victory. We forget those things which are behind. That was yesterday. In our service, in our desire to put him first, we press toward that mark of the prize of the high calling. We don't dwell on those victories and those successes or those failures. What we dwell on is who we are in Christ and what God's plan is for us. What his desire is for us. We are new creation. It's through the Apostle Paul. And there's, we're only going to touch the surface. We're just going to scratch the surface this morning. It's from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, 1, that we learn that there is no condemnation, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Talking about forgetting those things which are behind. Even when Satan brings them up, Maybe I'm the only one he does that to occasionally. But when Satan brings those up, you can say, but there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? I know I've shared this story before, but I'll tell you what, it's just it's so meaningful to me, I'm going to keep sharing it until God calls me home. But I remember when we had the ranch out at Circle J, and if you heard it, you can sleep. Go ahead. But I remember when we had the ranch out at Circle J, and we had uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of girls who had been abused, who had been runaways, they tried to commit suicide. We had our girls home, and there was one girl there 
uh, who had gotten involved in, in, in gang relations and, and had been abused, and it was just horrible. Uh, her dad, a, a, a minister, uh, had told his daughter, he said, you're as ugly on the inside as you are on the outside, and I don't want anything to do with you. When the mom and dad brought her to the ranch, they barely stopped in time for her to jump out and get their throw her bags out, and, and they were out the door. And she had a lot of baggage. She came from a Christian home. She grew up in church all of her life. But boy, she'd gotten involved in some things, and she was hard-hearted. She was manipulative. There were a lot of issues that this young girl had. And we just, I couldn't get through to her, which that shouldn't surprise anybody. Nothing I said seemed to be the thing that just brought her back. But one night during our devotions, I read, there is therefore now no condemnation. And she broke down and wept. See, I couldn't get through to her. Nothing I said was meaningful. But folks, God's word is. God's word is meaningful. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Who are in Christ Jesus. See, he does change everything. He changes everything. It is in the epistles of Paul, in Romans 8, 39, we learn that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. See, sin separates us from the love of God. Thank you, Adam. But when we're in the new man, when we're in the new Adam, or, or the, the last Adam, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It is from the Apostle Paul that we learn that if God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah is right. You talk about a special revelation. All this was part of that revelation that was given to Paul. No wonder in so many occasions he would just break down in devotional dialogue and, and talk about the glory and the wonder of the Lord. It, it had to be an enormous, enormous, not a burden, but just a pronouncement that came upon him of these truths. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If God be for us, who can be against us? It was true then. Folks, it's just as true today. It's from the Apostle Paul. 1 Timothy 1.7 That God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And I guess that's 2 Timothy uh, 1.7. Sorry, Timothy. Yeah. But God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when I say God is, when he, when he was talking to Timothy, you have to understand, Christians were being burned alive, they were being sawed asunder, they were being beheaded, they were being thrown to lions, they were being all sorts of cruel, inhumane treatment of believers. 
Paul says, God's not given us the spirit of fear. That's why I, you know, you watch the news and you see all the stuff that's happening. I remind myself, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. God's word says it's going to get worse before it gets better. God's word is clear that in the last days, perilous times shall come. I say let them come because that just means we're that much closer to being face to face with the one who saved us, who died for us. But we have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and love, a sound mind. It's from the Apostle Paul that we learn that salvation is by God's grace apart from any work, apart from any deed, apart from anything that we could do, apart from any covenant relationship. See, Israel had a relationship with God based on God's covenant promise to them and Israel's trust in that covenant promise. What sets this apart is our relationship as Gentiles is all based on God's grace, not his promise to make us a great nation, not his promise to make us a peculiar people, not his promise to, to, to bless us with a land. And it, it is based on his grace and his mercy that he offers salvation to all who believe. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. None of works lest any man should boast. It's based on God's mercy that we've been washed in the blood of Christ Jesus. It's through the Apostle Paul that the mystery was revealed. That mystery, Christ in you, Gentile, the hope of glory. Christ in you. It's nothing to do with God's covenant promise. It has to do with, by faith you trusted in the complete and finished work of Christ, and by His grace, He recognizes that complete and finished work of His Son on the cross, and He offers salvation. And when you do what He said you have to do, and that is believe, you are made that new creation. All that is part of that, that mystery. Look with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. Start with verse 1, Tim. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made, on, he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, that's significant, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now, that word's significant also, now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the joint body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, by the good news that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. This is the heart of the mystery. It's what God was going to offer to Gentiles by grace. 
the fact that we were going to have that relationship with God himself through his son, well, in the Old Testament, Israel, you better get your act together. Israel, you better become that nation of priests. Israel, you better repent and be baptized. You better do all those things that are required of you in order to be that peculiar nation. But he came into his own, and his own did what? Didn't receive him. And so God would have been justified. As a matter of fact, I think in Acts chapter 7, that is so significant. When, when Stephen looks up as he's being stoned after he has preached a tremendous sermon to the leaders of Israel about their wickedness and what they had done, and they stone him, a man looking like an angel, a man who was so full of the Holy Spirit. And Stephen looks up as they're stoning him, and he sees the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. When Christ ascended, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, signifying that that redemptive work was done. But when he sees Christ standing in every scripture, every scripture in that book that has to do with the, with, with the Lord standing is in judgment. Israel was being judged. And the next thing on the prophetic agenda was what? The tribulation. The tribulation. But what fell? And the tribulation is what? God's, God's wrath. That's when God's wrath is poured out. But what fell instead of the wrath of God on those who have rejected him. And remember, the purpose of the tribulation is to woo Israel back to himself. Well, you go to Hosea and so, Isaiah, so many different scriptures that, that talk, about, talk about that. The next time we go through the book of Revelation, we'll, we'll bring that out again. But instead of God's wrath falling as what was prophesied, what fell was something that was hid in God from before the foundation of the world. What his intent was, was to have mercy on those who'd reject him. And to show just how much mercy, how gracious he is, he saved the chief of sinners. He saved the one that was the hardest he saved the one that was going up to Damascus to haul people of the way, to, hold, to haul those kingdom believers. They believed that Christ was the Messiah. They believed that the kingdom was coming. But he was, he was on his way up there to snatch them back and bring them before the Sanhedrin and the rulers of Israel to kill them, to imprison them. And on his way to Damascus, the Lord who is so loving saved him. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16 talks about the fact that that is a pattern. He was saved as a pattern to all those. How in me first, first, the Lord showed his long suffering as a pattern to all those who should believe hereafter. How be it for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering 
Now, I know we haggle with a lot of people about what the word first means there, and they want to say chiefly, and, but we say numerically, and the, and the numerically fits better when you look at the word pattern. For a pattern, what is a pattern? What is a pattern? Pattern is that as a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. See, that's what we learn from this apostle of the Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, Romans 16, 25. Romans 16. Romans 16, 25. Now to him that has the power to establish you according to my gospel, and again, Paul was not being egotistical here. He wanted to make sure you understood which gospel was being proclaimed. It was the gospel of the grace of God, not the kingdom gospel. And if we had time this morning, we might do that next Sunday. It show that there is such a difference between the kingdom gospel that the twelve were preaching Versus the gospel of the grace of God that Paul was preaching. Paul's not being egotistical. He's making sure. That's why he says in Galatians, if, we, if, 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 if anyone, even an angel, come and preaches any other gospel to you, to that church in Galatia, let him be accursed. An- another gospel, another good news. Well, there was another one. The gospel of the kingdom. But see, if somebody came up there and told those people in Galatia or Ephesus or Philippi or Colossae or Rome, here's what you need to do to be saved. Got good news. Christ is going to establish his kingdom on earth, and you, oh, not you Gentiles, that's Israel. If somebody, and you got to obey the law of Moses. Oh, sorry about this, but you got to be circumcised. I got to tell you, they would have been preaching. Another gospel. Was there a time when that was the gospel to proclaim? Let me give you a hint. Absolutely. Absolutely that was the gospel that the twelve went around and preaching. And their preaching was significant in the fact that there were signs and wonders and miracles associated with all of those signs. They were living in the last days. And so they were around proclaiming those truths. But if anybody come preaching any other gospel than what you've heard from him, what they've preached to you, let him be accursed. You know why? Because people were believing the wrong thing in order to go to heaven. And I'm so afraid that there are a lot of churches today that are proclaiming false gospels and telling people they need to do certain things in order to be saved and those people are doing those things to be saved and they're not being saved. Because they're trusting in baptism. They're trusting in walking down an aisle. They're trusting in doing things that are not associated with this present dispensation of the grace of God. See, if you do anything other than put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you do anything other than believe that he died for your sins, you're saying, God, your work on Calvary's cross is not sufficient. And I got news for you. It is sufficient.
through the Apostle Paul that we learn that we're joint heirs. Aren't you glad? I don't know what all that includes, <laughs> but I am a joint heir. I am an heir of God. But it's because of my relationship with Christ and who I am in Him. Oh man, what a... Seated with Christ in the heavenlies right now. Seated with Him. It's through the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.13, I learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. I can do all things. And there, I can't do all things, but I can through Christ. Philippians 4.19, we learn through the revelation of the Lord Jesus to this chief of sinners, to this apostle to the Gentiles, we learn that my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. End argument. Whether it's physical, spiritual, emotionally. You tell me what your need is, and here's what my advice to you is. Trust God's word. And my God shall supply some of your need, most of your need, according to his riches in glory. Is that what it says? I wish there was a way Tim could circle that all up there. That's your challenge, Tim. <laughs> My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. You talk about name it and claim it. These promises are what you can name and you can claim. Lord, your word says that you'll supply all of my need. Not you won't. Not you won't. And I got to tell you, I'm glad that God has not supplied all of my wants according to his riches and glory. I don't know what I'd do with a brand new tractor now that we've sold the place down in Owensville and we don't have the place anymore. Oh, I'm glad I didn't have that to sell. Boy, I'm glad that God didn't supply me with that beach house just a couple of weeks ago, months ago, when the hurricane came through there or in the Bahamas or wherever the, it hit. See, and used to, I'd say, boy, I wish I had that tractor. And my wife, she would say, if you needed it, you'd have it. We'll take that Bible away from you, woman. But she's right. She's right. If I needed it, I'd have it. And you know what else God promises in his word? In the book of Philippians. Oh boy, you know, we ought to rename the book of Philippians to you know, the book of name it and claim it because you know, we, we can claim the fact of his promise to supply all of our need. We can, we can claim the fact that, Lord, you said I could do all things through you, and I'm not sure how I'm going to get through this, but you know. You know. And you know what, folks? I am here to tell you that regardless of what's happened in my life, regardless of how bad it is, regardless of how much loss was in, involved, God was glorified, and I came out seeing God's hand each and every time without exception. I didn't know how am I going to get through this? How is this going to work out? How, Lord, I, I'd get anxiety filled. 
And God's word says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known unto God. And does it say, and he will do it? No. And what does it say that God's going to supply you? A peace, the peace that passes all understanding. That's what we have in Christ. That's what we receive from this apostle of the Gentiles. This is what we've learned. See, what did Christ tell the apostles? Then we'll be done. He told the apostles, the authority, talking about the apostolic authority, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he's going to do it. You want to say move mountain? That mountain's going to be moved. I don't know about you, but early on on my Christian walk, I, there were a few mountains I wanted to have moved. I'm not talking about difficulty. I just want to test, put him to the test. But it didn't happen. You know why? I don't have that authority. But here's what I can. I can do. And I said, Lord, I've got this mountain that's in front of me, and I don't know how we're going to get through it. I don't know how we're going to climb it. But you've promised to give me that peace. And I am claiming that peace in your name. And you know what he does each and every time? He provides that peace. Because that's the kind of God he is. He's a keeper of his word. But as we study his word, we have to understand what is to us, what's for us, and distinguish those truths. I'm glad this morning that he holds the future. I'm glad this morning that I don't. I'm glad this morning that the most important aspect of my future was settled a whole lot of years ago when by faith I trusted Christ. And when I trusted Him, my future became secure in Him. And because we're saved by grace through faith, and there are no works involved, there's nothing that I have to do in order to earn it, I can rest securely in His promise. I've got to tell you how much delight that brings to me. And I hope to you this morning, I mean, not my salvation, but yours. And I hope it brings delight to your salvation that I'm going to be in heaven with you. But the joy that it should bring you of the security that you have in Christ. But this morning, if you don't have that security, if you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith, if you've never trusted in what he did on Calvary's cross, and you can't say, I, have, I, I don't have Christ in me, the hope of glory. I, I, I've not been made that new creation. This very moment can change that forever. By believing. By trusting Him to do exactly what He, would, he said He would do in His Word. Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning and how thankful we are for Your precious Word. Father, how thankful we are that we can come 
and gather here together and we can study your word and we can learn these truths about who you are and about who we are in you. Father, we're thankful this morning that you saved the chief of sinners. Father, that speaks volumes to us because it tells us that if you can save the chief of sinners, Father, you can save anybody. But Father, how thankful we are that not only did you save him, you gave him a revelation. Father, you gave him the truth of that mystery that had been hid in you, that glorious news that Gentiles, that a body is going to be formed, both of Jew and Gentile, that you are no longer a respecter of persons. Father, you are no longer working through a nation. You will one day again, once the rapture of the church occurs, and your church, your body is caught up to meet you in the air. Father, your promises are going to, be, are going to unfold concerning Israel. But Father, how thankful we are that this is the day of salvation. This is the day that men, by grace, trust you, and they're saved by grace. Father, may we ever be mindful of that message, that truth, and may we share it with a world that needs to hear that you love them. Such a passionate way, such a loving way. So, Father, I pray if there's anyone here that's never trusted you, that in the quietness of this moment, without any fanfare, without any music, just with the Holy Spirit moving on their heart, Father, may the conviction come that they need you. And the only way to get you, the only way to have you, the only way to have that relationship with you is through your Son and believing that He took their place. And by faith, they accept that. Father, simple for us, but so deadly for you, so painful for you. Enduring the cross obedient even to the cross. We praise you for that, Father. And it's in Christ's holy and most precious name. In the name of the one that every knee is going to bow to and that every tongue is going to confess to. We pray. Amen.